this week on Hope for the Broken. Even though Jesus founded the church, the church is not perfect. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. The church is made up of broken people and therefore it is imperfect. But hear me out. Even in the imperfection of the church, there is nothing like the church when the church is doing what it's called to do. There is nothing, there is no other organization on the face of the planet that can rival the church of Jesus Christ. Welcome to Hope for the Broken, the audio podcast ministry of Trinity Baptist Church in Mount Pleasant, Texas. I'm your host, Austin Mahoney. We exist to become a gospel-centered community, redeeming brokenness through hope in Jesus Christ. At Trinity, we believe we are all broken and in need of the redeeming hope found in Jesus. For more information about our church, visit us on our website at trinitytx.org. This week, we continue our series called Back to the Basics. Here's our pastor, Chris Wigley, with part seven titled, The Church. Grab your Bibles and turn with me to two places this morning, in Matthew chapter 16 and then in Acts chapter 2. We are continuing in our sermon series entitled Back to the Basics as today we take a look at the church. What is the church? What is the purpose of the church? What does the church do? And I think this is a very foundational, important principle for us to understand as we seek to be a church that is rooted and founded upon the truth of the scriptures. We are modeled after the New Testament church. I heard an illustration this week about how the church is much like an embassy. The United States has embassies in every recognized country around the globe. A U.S. embassy is actually a small part of the United States located in a foreign country. It is within the walls of the embassy that American laws apply and not the laws of that country. An embassy does not belong to the country they're in, but from the country they are from. In other words, if you find yourself in a foreign country and you find yourself into some trouble, make your way to the U.S. embassy. And there you'll find a little bit of home, even in a foreign land. It's a place where you could take refuge. Well, the church, in a sense, is God's embassy. How can we say that the church is God's embassy? Well, Philippians 3.20 tells us that our citizenship is in heaven. As believers in Jesus Christ, our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly await for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are citizens of heaven. Therefore, we are foreigners here on earth. And the church is God's embassy here in the world. It is to represent heaven. It is to be a small part of heaven in the midst of a very foreign, broken land. It is a place for you and I to be able to take refuge, a place for people to find hope. The church is to be an ambassador of heaven in a very dark and hurting world. And so today I want to look at the scriptures and be informed on what the church is all about. And I want to do so by answering a few questions. Church, what is it? Who needs it? And what is our role in it? And that will serve as our outline this morning. But let's begin with the very first mentioning of the word church 
in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 18. It says, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea of Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him and said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The very first time that the word church is utilized is by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He is the one that first makes use of this term church. So he calls church, church. If you've ever wondered, how did we come up with the term church? It's because our Lord Jesus gave us that term. He claimed it. He named it. And that is what we are. But what is church? What does it mean? And so let's begin there. Number one, church, what is it? What in the world is church? The word that Jesus here that is translated church is the Greek word ekklesia. It's actually a, a compound word. It takes two words and puts them together into one. The literal translation of ekklesia is the called out ones. The people who are called out, set apart for a particular purpose. It carries the idea of an assembly of these called out ones, of these set apart ones, that they gather together and are set apart for a particular purpose. Let me give you my definition of church, okay? This is a theological definition of what church is based upon what I understand the scriptures to teach. The church is God's redeemed people across all time and places possessing the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God by way of faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. When we say church, what is it? Oftentimes the church is mis mistaken for a building, but it's not a building. The church is a people. It's a redeemed people of God. I heard one pastor say one time that the church is never about the steeple. It's always about the people. And that is true. The church is made up of those who have been adopted into the family of God. In other words, if you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life, you are a member of the church. But more importantly, you are the church. Those that represent the family of God is the church. So church is not a building. It is a people. Now, the church exists in two expressions, in two forms, the church universal and then the church local. When the Bible speaks of the church universal, think capital C, church. And when it talks about this capital C, universal church, it is referring to all believers everywhere, both those that are living and those that have gone on to glory. Did you know that we have brothers and sisters on the other side of the globe, who have already worshipped this morning. And they are a part of our family called church. On this day, 
set aside the first day of the week, Sunday, God's people gather together and they exalt the Lord Jesus from the time that the day begins to the time that the day ends. We today join in the voices of our brothers and sisters on the other side of the globe exalting the Lord Jesus Christ who is the one who purchased the church. That's the church universal. We're a part of it. Now the church local is a very local expression of the church universal. It's a group of believers that gather together to worship God, to love one another, to disciple one another, and to then be a witness to the world. The New Testament speaks often of the church local. In fact, the New Testament speaks of both. In Acts chapter 15, I believe 15 or 16, the church decides to come together all different representatives of the churches that were in existence at that time to come together and to wrestle with a theological truth. That is where the church universal gathered together. We have record of that in the book of Acts. But what about individual local churches? Do do we have reference to that in the pages of the New Testament? Yes, we do. For example, in Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, it says, Paul, an apostle not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches in Galatia write. Galatians, our book of Galatians in the Bible is actually a letter that Paul is writing to specific local churches that are a part of the region of Galatia. The word churches there is in the plural. Meaning this, it is to be distributed. This letter is to be distributed to all of the local churches. So we see this expression of church universal and church local from the very beginning of the church. So as we talk about what the church is, we see Jesus institute the church in Matthew chapter 16, and it exists in two expressions. But the New Testament tells us exactly how the church began. It tells of the church's birthday of when it happened. So flip over to Acts chapter 2 as we look at how the church began. To set the stage before we read the first couple of verses in Acts chapter 2, Jesus at this point has ascended into heaven before the disciples' very eyes. In fact, Scripture tells us in Acts chapter 1 that they were gazing into heaven. They watched Jesus ascend and disappear into glory. And then they went back to Jerusalem, to the very upper room where Jesus met them after his resurrection. And there they were led to replace Judas. Remember, Judas had sold out the Lord Jesus and then ultimately took his own life and they needed, they felt, to replace Judas. And so they had two men that were great candidates to fill in Judas's spot And the lot, as they prayed, landed on a guy named Matthias. And the Bible says that about 120 people were gathered in the upper room that day. And something extraordinary happened. I can imagine that they're wondering, well, what do we do now? As they're all huddled up. Perhaps there is even circles that begin discussing, I think that we should begin doing this, and I think we should begin doing that. And in the midst of of that maybe uncertainty, 
something extraordinary happened. Jesus promised that when he left, the Holy Spirit would come. And that's exactly what happened. Look with me at Acts chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. It says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. This was the arrival of God's promised Holy Spirit. And he empowered the disciples on that day. Peter, who just a month and a half earlier denied Jesus, being empowered by the Holy Spirit of God, stands up and he preaches a sermon. And at this very first sermon, 3,000 people come to faith in Jesus as the Lord and Savior of their life. The church was off to an amazing start, and it has never looked back since. And so Pentecost is the church's birthday. And do you know what else is continuing? The Holy Spirit continues to indwell the hearts and the lives of, of believers, of you. And me, those of us that are in Christ, the Holy Spirit continues his work of empowering us to carry out the mission of the church. The church was born on Pentecost. So what is the mission of the church? If the Holy Spirit has empowered us to carry out the mission of the church, what is that mission? Well, again, the Lord Jesus gave the church its mission statement. It, called, it is called the Great Commission. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, it says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age." According to the Lord Jesus, the mission of the church is to make disciples. It's what we must do. It's what we are called to do. It's what we are commissioned by our Lord and Savior to do. Every Bible-believing, Christ-exalting church has the very same mission. We have the very same marching orders. And in that vein, we lock arms with other Bible-believing, Christ-exalting churches as we lift high the banner of Jesus and we take the message to the world and we disciple people. Did you know for nearly 40 years, this church, Trinity Baptist Church, has sought to fulfill this very mission? By God's grace, Trinity will celebrate 40 years of ministry this coming January. And we're going to have a ton of fun celebrating the 40th anniversary of the founding of this very church. Mark your calendars, January 28th and 29th of 2023. We're going to have a blast together. That's when our church turns 40. The actual date is the first weekend in February, but due to conflicts within our community, we thought that we would bump it up one week. And so we're going to celebrate that week. And what we're going to do is, by God's grace, look forward to at least 40 more years of effective ministry in our community and around the globe. 40 more years of fulfilling the Great Commission, so long as the Lord tarries. So the church, both universal and local, are to be about making disciples. It's what we must do. Another thing that is extremely important that I think that we need to realize 
is that even though Jesus founded the church, even though the Holy Spirit empowers the church, the church is not perfect. There's no such thing as a perfect church. In fact, if you find it, I've heard pastors say, don't join it, you'll mess it up. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. The church is made up of broken people and therefore it is imperfect. But hear me out. Even in the imperfection of the church, there is nothing like the church when the church is doing what it's called to do. There is nothing, there is no other organization on the face of the planet that can rival the church of Jesus Christ. Following Katrina, I started pursuing a, a doctoral degree at New Orleans Seminary in 2007. Katrina came through in 2005 and I began my studies in 2007 and the city was still reeling from the effects of Katrina. And the way my coursework was set up is you would come in, you would fly in or drive in for a week and you would stay and you would study and you'd do seminars and then you would go back home and submit everything online. But when I would fly into New Orleans, I would make reservations for a taxi that would carry me from the airport to the seminary, about a 30 minute drive. And as I was riding, I, I don't know if you know me or not, but I can't sit quiet, like I have to be talking. And so I would just say this, I would just say, uh, tell me your Katrina story. And for 30 minutes, I would hear the same story after story after story after story from individual different taxi drivers, but the story was the same. You know what the story was? The story was how horrible FEMA was. You remember the disaster FEMA was? Uh, man, what a, what a disaster. But every story would talk about the disaster of FEMA, but then they would say there were these people in yellow hats. And then those people in yellow hats, they were people that truly helped us, that truly worked for our good. Do you know who the yellow hats are? They're members of the Southern Baptist Convention Disaster Relief. I have a picture of a group of people serving these yellow hats. And you know what the testimony to me is? Is there again, there's not another organization, there's not another creation that can rival the impact that the church has. Even in the midst of disaster, the church responds and the church is effective and there is nothing like it. And we are funding events like this. As, as we are a Southern Baptist church, we are funding ministries like disaster reliefs that are effectual all over our country. Nothing is like the local church when the church is doing what Jesus has asked us to do. All of that just to define the church. Are you with me? Okay, second question. This is an important question. Church, who needs it? Who in the world needs the church? We are living in a society that is asking that very question. They're wondering, what is the big deal about church? A, an author by the name of Dean Merrill published a book called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry Church. And in his book, he referenced statistics concerning church trends. He said on any given weekend, about 37% of Americans show up in church. 
The other 63% are reading the paper, drinking coffee, sleeping in, playing golf, or engaging in some other form of recreation. Now that's based on data from 1997. I read another article published in June of this year, and it said that less than 50% of Americans say they are members in a church. In other words, the majority of people in our country now are asking, who needs the church? They remain unconvinced that the church is important or that it is necessary. And I actually think that this is an age-old question. I think people have been asking that question for years and for centuries. And so I want to answer the question, who needs church, in two ways. I want to first say that we need the church. We do. Who needs the church? You and I do. From the very beginning of time, we see how God hardwired us for relationships. You remember in the story of Adam and Eve that Adam was alone, and that was the very thing of creation which was not good. And so God created a helper, Eve, and he gave Eve to him for companionship. We are hardwired in our uh, creation. We are hardwired for relationships. But people are finding community, relationships, and other organizations outside the church. They can find it in social clubs. They can find it in the workplace. They can find it in their neighborhood. They can find it in a variety of places. So again, who needs the church? Well, again, I say we do, because in addition for our need for relationships, we have a desperate need for truth. All of humanity has a desperate need for truth. And while we live in a world that is uh, is presenting to us information that is readily available, even at our fingertips, the truth seems to escape us. Have you noticed that? So where do we find truth and community? We find it in the church. And when I say church, I presuppose that the church is the people that are teaching the Word of God. I do think that we have some imposters that call themselves churches, but people, churches, that preach the truth unashamedly of God's word is the true church. And we need truth. And we need community. 1 Timothy 3.15 says this, If I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. It is to be a pillar and buttress of the truth. In other words, the, tr- the church doesn't create truth. The, the church upholds the truth. And what is the truth? Well, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except by me. And so the church upholds the banner of Jesus Christ. We preach and teach the truth. We are to be centered on biblical truth And the more our world drifts towards other avenues of reality, we need the church more than ever before. We need a place where we can both gather, build relationships, and seek the face of God together and be grounded in the truth. Now, it's often at this point whenever I make this argument for the case of the church that people say, yeah, but you don't have to go to church in order to be a Christian. And that's very true. Going to church doesn't make us Christians. Going to church doesn't make us a Christian any more than standing in your garage makes you a car, right? It doesn't mean that you are a Christian. 
But think about a football player. What good is a football player without a team? Or think about an instrument. An instrument without an orchestra is just making noise. Or a soldier without an army. You get my point. It has always been the Lord's design for the church to be a greenhouse where he can grow spiritually strong followers of him. We need one another. Church family, I need you. You help keep me on the straight and narrow. You pour into me. You teach me truth. And I hope, I hope that you need me, or at least that you want me, right? But we need one another. I think another way that we can realize the importance of the church is for us to think about the purpose of the church. At least four distinctive purposes of church. We are to worship God corporately, share the gospel with the world, to teach us more about Jesus, and to love one another and to love others in ministry and serving. You and I need each other in order to accomplish those, those things. So who needs the church? We do but also the world does. Not only do we need the church, but the world does. And when I talk about the world, I I include in the world our community, our state, our country, and yes, all countries around the globe. The metaphor that is most attributed to the church is the body of Christ. We read that all throughout the pages of Scripture, the body of Christ. One person does not form the body of Christ. You and I together make up the body of Christ. And when we come together making up the body of Christ, then we become the actual hands and feet of Jesus in a very hurt and broken world. We're to be Jesus with skin on. And we need one another in order to do that. And when we are that, guess who benefits? Our community does. Our state does, our country does, and the world does. Romans 12, 4 and 5 says this, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though we are many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. The church has positively impacted the world in profound ways when it is carrying out what God has asked it to carry out. Even in its imperfection, it has had a profound impact on the world. I want to give you two examples of how the church has impacted the world positively. Did you know the church is the one that championed education and championed health care? We would not have the advances in health care or the advances in education if it were not for the church. Take a look around our country at every prestigious Ivy League school. Did you know they all have a divinity school? You know why? Because they were founded by the church. They may have drifted from their grounding in scripture, I don't know, but they were founded by the church. Higher education, all education was founded by by the church. What about healthcare? Take a look at leading hospitals founded by the church. Where did Christus Good Shepherd get its name? Christus, the body of Christ. Good Shepherd. Who's the Good Shepherd? The Lord Jesus. And let's not forget Baylor, right? Baylor is a good hospital, right? Got a great name anyway. 
But my point is, those institutions were founded by the church. Did you know that? Churches had a profound impact. Listen, I love the church. I hope you love the church. And in a world who is asking who needs it, I hope you see that you and I need it, but the world needs us. And I truly believe that the church's best days are ahead of us. Listen, as the, the church, as, or as the world grapples more and more with the brokenness of the world, as it confronts us more and more, it needs the church to be the church more than ever before. I think what God is doing for us as the church is building a platform for us to be a beacon of light and a beacon of hope. In a very dark world, the gospel shines even brighter. In a very hurting world, the church has the ability and the resources to meet needs. And this is what we're supposed to do as the church which leads perfectly into my third and final discussion. We've defined the church. We've talked about who needs the church. Number three, church, let's build it. Let's commit together to do this thing called church that Jesus instituted over 2,000 years ago. And he has continued it on. Let's be a part of leading the church to be the beacon of light and hope once again. And I want to be very clear. Though we come together and we help build the local church, it is the Lord Jesus Christ who leads it, who owns it, and who does the work of building it. Back in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus says in verse 18, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, on the confession that Peter made, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The church is not my church. It's Jesus' church. The church does not belong to a group of elders or a pope or a denomination. The church belongs to Jesus because he purchased it with his blood upon the cross of Calvary. And if you're looking for a sound investment, one that will always yield forth great yields, it's the church. Because the church of Jesus Christ, even though more and more Christians are not claiming membership in a church, the church of Jesus Christ will continue until he comes back. That's a certain fact. Nothing can stop the church. And it may have seasons of of high points and seasons of low points, but can I tell you what? The church is thriving in, in countries like China, in countries like Pakistan, in the most difficult of regions. The church is thriving. Why? Because the Lord Jesus isn't done doing his work yet. And you and I are invited to be a part of this thing called church. And while Jesus is the leader and he owns it, He invites you and me to be a part of what he is doing. And by his spirit, those of us that are in Christ have been given spiritual gifts. One of the things I love to say to people who place their faith and trust in Jesus as as Lord is to say, congratulations, you're gifted. The scripture says that at the moment of belief, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our soul and he brings with him spiritual gifts. You are gifted And we are to use these gifts in a role in his church. You have a role. You have a job to do. 
And it is to use your spiritual gifts for the edification of the church and the advancement of the kingdom of God. It is not God's desire to gift you and I and for us to not utilize those gifts. He has a purpose for you. And my observation from over 20 years of ministry within the church is I think there's a lot of Christians that are simply sitting on the sidelines. And one of the things that is potentially holding the church back from realizing all that God has in store for us is those Christians that are just waiting to get in the game. One pastor I read this week equated sitting on the sidelines with being on church welfare. (laughs) People enjoy the ministries of the church, but they're not involved in it. Did you know that at Trinity we have over 30 ministries that are part of our church? Ministries on our campus. Ministries in our city and ministries around the world. And I believe that there are even ministries that we have yet to create and we're waiting on the person who is aptly gifted in order to run with that ministry so that we can impact even more people for the cause of Christ. God has given you a spiritual gift, maybe even multiple gifts, to be used, to be exercised. And when I say church, let's build it. What I mean is that what would it look like if every one of us had a job in the church? I think we would be a force in this community and even to the extent of the world that would bring hope and peace and reconciliation with the God that loves our broken world. I love Romans 12, 4 through 8. It says, For in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one in body in Christ and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. (laughs) Paul is saying, you have a gift, let's use them. If it's prophecy, if it's proclamation in proportion to our faith. If service, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's one who exhorts, exhort. If it's one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. The invitation from our Lord is to leverage your gift for a cause that is far greater than yourself. To be a part of something that will outlast us, bigger than us. A purpose. God has invited us to be a part of what he's doing. And I say, let's go. Let's get after it. Let's do it. Let's see what God has in store for us. And I think that by getting in the game, we're going to see the hand of God change our community and change our world. You're listening to Trinity Baptist Church's Hope for the Broken podcast. If you would like to learn more about this ministry, visit us online at trinitytx.org. That's trinitytx.org. Here's Pastor Chris to wrap up our time together. Thanks for listening today. I'm so glad that you found this podcast. It is our prayer that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. It is our goal at Trinity to lead everyone into a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have questions about what it means to trust Jesus as the Lord of your life, we would love to connect with you please feel free to give us a call at 903-572-1959 
or email us at info at If you are ever in the East Texas area, we invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 9.30 or 11 a.m. Thanks so much for listening today. God bless you. We pray that you have experienced hope today. If you would like to support the ministries of Trinity Baptist Church with a financial gift, you can do so by giving online. Simply log on to trinitytx.org and click the Give tab. Be sure to join us next week as we look into God's Word on Hope for the Broken.